speakers and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. evening and welcome to Political Prisoner Radio. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines known as USA Inc. It is a Sunday night on this September the 27th, 2015. We do want to welcome in those who were just listening to the program of one of our media partners, Time for Awakening Radio, which airs on the Black Talk Radio Network every Sunday at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Just some quick network news. The Lotus Place will not be on air tonight. Uh, Sister Black Rose had an emergency, and so therefore they will not be on air live tonight, but they will be back on Wednesday night. So that will be Wednesday night at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time uh, for the next broadcast of the Lotus Place. Again, you are listening to Political Prisoner, Radio. Uh, this is an hour-long program where we discuss news, share information, and provide commentary concerning political prisoners in the United States of America, USA, Inc., right? And this program, of course, I'm one of the hosts. Our other host is Sister Amijo, and we both work together to produce this program for you every Sunday night. And so tonight... Uh, We have some statements from two political prisoners that we would like to share with you. Uh, Jaleel Abdul-Montakim, also known as by his government name, uh, Anthony Bottom, a former member of both the Black Panther Party and Black Liberation Army. Uh, He shared a blog post, and it is titled Black Lives Matter Forward. It's blog number 36 on his blog, Free Jaleel. Dot com. Um, and the other uh, statement that we will read will, was issued by Leonard Peltier, who is a Native American activist and member of the American Indian Movement. And today, no, I think it was yesterday, the International Tribunal of Conscience was held in New York, New York, and Mr. Peltier issued a statement in relation to that event. So we'll share his statement with you. Uh, also, There's a New York-based coffee company that thinks it's funny to make light of the victims of mass incarceration, a.k.a. 21st century slavery. And there is a petition up that has been launched to change their name. So we'll share a bit of information about that petition as well. And we do want to say happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, I shouldn't even say happy birthday. We want to acknowledge the birthdays of political prisoners Joshua Stafford and Justin Sol- Solans. I'm, I may be pronouncing that incorrectly, but we have a link to their information for today's program description, and you can read more about those two political prisoners. Yeah, I don't think uh, Sister Amijo, the correct term to be using is saying happy birthday when they political prisoners, you know, so we just want to acknowledge their birthday. But good evening to you, co-host. Good evening, Scotty. And how are things with you today behind these enemy lines? Well, you know, it's, you know, always, you know, something going on in this, you know, terrorist, settlers, settler, you know, regime that, that we live in and under, you know, um, every time, you know, you look, you know, on Facebook or Twitter, you know, um, on the television, you know, always saying, you know, someone being murdered, you know, um, by the state by law enforcement, you know. Um, So we've had, you know, another young man be murdered in Baltimore County out here in Randallstown. Um, So that is um, 
you know, getting quite a lot of uh, attention um, across uh, social media and the, the, the Twitter sphere. And, um, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's not stopping. You sound like and, you're getting uh, battle fatigue, which is normal. Yeah, and I mean, we're also still in the midst of now dealing with the, you know, six coming cases, you know, associated to, you know, um, the police murder of Freddie Gray and then, you know, the ongoing, you know, fight uh, for social justice and civil justice and, you know, criminal justice for, you know, the families here as well as, you know, across the country, you know, it's always something in the news about, you know, how one of these murderous pigs, you know, is, is getting off, you know, um, and, 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 it's, and it's disgusting and, you know, it, it makes you angry, yes. you know, um, so it's, you know, trying to, you know, channel, you know, that, that anger in, in a, in a, in a productive manner towards, you know, um, you know, organizing, you know, right, um, right. And, and the educating. That's and, key um, what you said, yeah. sis. I want to highlight something you said of taking that anger and channel it and channel it into a productive manner. Because we got a sister down there in Texas. Um, I'm, I think it might be Houston, but it's in that area where the young black man was found dead and, and mutilated in the field down there. And she had been taking the social media and saying things that, I, you know, were ill-advised to say on an open platform, in a public platform like that, and not speaking in a codified manner. And now they got her up on charges of terroristic threats. Now, certainly I can understand her frustration. I can understand her anger living behind these enemy lines. But at the same time, though, we cannot allow our anger to to make our situation worse. You know what I'm saying? So... You know, um, that story kind of troubles me. And, you know, going back to what you said about being killed by police, um, killedbypolice.net, the latest statistical data on those uh, people killed behind these enemy lines by police are is 886. Uh, yesterday, you had two teenagers, a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old killed by police in Georgia in the same uh, um in the same um, event or the same um, uh, circumstance, whatever happened, they must have been together. I've yet to get the details. So the killing is constant. It's constant. They don't let up. It's just constantly going on. And But then when you, you know, turn on the mainstream media or look in the mainstream paper, you got these police union thugs out here acting like cops is just being gunned down left and right and it's all Black Lives Matter fault and all this and that and they're scum and they need blah blah blah, blah. so yeah man but it is key what you said about we had to be productive we had to channel that anger and not let it you know cause us to find ourselves becoming political prisoners well I mean I would say like you know as far as like people saying stuff on, you know, Twitter and other forms of social media, you know, I mean, that's to me, you know, that that's freedom of speech. You know, I mean, the the racists say all kinds of hateful yes, they stuff, do. you know, online every day, all day. Yes, you know, they do. but is the FBI and the CIA and everything else knocking up on their doors? No. No, they're not. You know, so. But we know, know they I, knocking on our doors, though. So we right. we have to recognize this. That we ain't white racists and that we live in a system of racism dominated by white supremacists. And so their rule, the rules they have for others, like the Ku Klux Klan, one of the world's oldest terrorist organizations still in existence, got a 501c3 status with the U.S. government and, and, and all the things they advocate. See, we not them, though. We not them. Right. And so we can't act like them. We have to be more codified in, in our dealings. So, I mean, that I mean that should be evident to to anyone, but I guess it's not to some. There, there is two things. There are there. I've heard this said before. I don't know who said it. There, there are two uh, things. There is how things should be, and then there's reality. 
And the reality is we do not live in a system that dispenses equal justice under the law. The law, like H. Rap Brown uh, um, has said often, um, you know, their laws keep us down. So we can't expect, you know, any kind of justice under this system. So we have to act accordingly. Uh-oh, did I lose you, sis? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm here. Before, hey, before um, we get into um, this first uh, post by uh, Brother Jaleel, um, I wanted to ask you a question, and I talked about this, I believe, Friday on my program, Black Talk Radio News. But I read that the uh, refugees that are coming out of Syria, that they're about to plop 10,000 of them at least 10,000 of them right there in Baltimore where you are. How do you feel about that? I got my own thoughts about it, but, you know, I don't think that that is a, a desirable situation there, you know, given how scant the resources are there for the people who live there now. Indeed, you're going to plop down 10,000 Syrian refugees in, in the black community? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Um. I think, you know, my concern would be actually the opposite, you know, okay. of what you were saying, you know, that essentially that, you know, these, you know, poor and, and oppressed individuals from Syria would then come here, you know, and suffer, you know, hate and disrespect from you know, Africans and, and other POC here, you know, in Baltimore out of, you know, that the alleged scarcity, you know, of resources, you know. So my concern, you know, would ultimately necessarily be, you know, um, those like different kinds of dichotomies and intersectionalities that we don't talk about, okay. you know. Um, Baltimore actually, you know, has a lot of... um you know, um, refugee people that would be considered, you know, refugees or immigrants or, you know, transplants. And, um, you know, it just, it, it, it depends on, you know, where, where you live at, you know, across the city. Um, I know in my neighborhood, um, you know, we are, you know, um, primarily, you know, poor working class and immigrant community. Um, and people here are from, you know, Morocco, Pakistan, India, people from Central and South America, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Mexico. So, you know, um, you know, that's, that's my, you know, environment over here, you know, um, to where, you know, actually, you know, um, African, African Americans in this community, you know, um, are not the dominant minority. You know, even in the public elementary school, you know, um, the, the dominant, you know, community of color is, you know, uh, communities that, you know, are from Central and South America. Um, like I said, mostly Honduras, El Salvador, Mexico. Um, so I'm not, you know, at this point, like, I'm not really sure, you know, <laughs> you know, what that, you know, impact would look like. But just looking at, you know, the current, you know, the current environment and us being, sorry, us being in, you know, what I would consider, you know, um, a, a second stage of, you know, um, I guess, you know, uh, a rebellion or, you know, a, a liberation struggle, you know, here, you know, um, in Baltimore and um in regards to the Freddie Gray case. So, you know, that, you know, on top of um you know, it is is gonna make for, you know, a really um uh, it's gonna have a really big impact, like you said. Um what that impact, you know, is is gonna look like. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm also looking at season. the um <clears throat> the published 7.4% unemployment rate in that county, in that area, in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And we know that if it says 7.4% for black people, you might as well say that's 21%. It's usually triple. Right. 
Right, right. <laughs> it's actually a lot higher than that. And we know that because when you only, when, when they say 7%, so that just means that 7% of, you know, people that are eligible, you know, to collect unemployment, you know, are actually collecting it. That just means eligibility roles. These people right. have to work a certain amount of time. They're no longer gainfully employed. Mm-hmm. You know, they may even be underemployed and therefore they're able to draw on these unemployment benefits. Or they're not, not in the system. Or they are in the system where they go utilize their uh the uh resources like the computers and stuff to look for jobs because they they will count right. them too as long as they going through the system to look but if they're not going through that system to look and they're still out of work and they're looking then they're still not going to be counted right exactly so the only people who are counted are those that are actually you know drawing um, you know, Unemployment. The, the cash benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that does not include people that are underemployed. You know, that does not include, you know, those individuals that, you know, are low skilled workers that don't have any employment. That does not in- that include, you know, the chronically unemployed and those individuals that are not eligible, you know, for those benefits. It doesn't include, you know, individuals that, you know, are coming home you know, um, dealing with issues, you know, of, of mass incarceration and not eligible for those benefits. That doesn't include, you know, um, you know, people that are on um, or seeking Social Security benefits because you can't get Social Security benefits as well as, you know, unemployment benefits at the same time. So, I mean, and that doesn't include, you know, women or other individuals that are on cash assistance because, you know, then you're also not eligible for unemployment benefits as well. So there's just, it's so much, so many more people that are technically unemployed than what that number actually really means. And and that's all I'm looking at, sis. I don't got nothing against any of these Syrian refugees, the United States and Saudi Arabia and other countries in the Middle East have long been trying to get rid of Assad and they destroyed that country and they're funding terrorism in that country. So I know, you know what I'm saying, I'm not blaming the innocents that need somewhere to go. I'm not blaming them. But at the same time, I'm also looking at, you know, that's how white supremacists roll, man. You know, you got people that are barely surviving and then you're just going to heat more people on top of that and and so it could get right. ugly. It could get real ugly real quick. You know, given what y'all right. did, what y'all been dealing with, especially over the past couple of years, and with the killing of Freddie Gray. Now you're telling me a new person has been murdered. It, it's just another variable that they adding to the dynamic up there. And, and you know, I'm just concerned about people here. You know, I'm concerned about right. people here. And then I look at Israel with its billion dollar a year stipend that it gets from the United States taxpayer and Syria borders Israel. So you mean, you know, y'all can't use some of those resources to find a place for them in Israel. And Israel, of course, has rejected them because these are Arabs and some of them are Muslims. Right. And so they are right. they are being allowed to 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 ignore their obligations under the UN treaties on taking refugees. So those right. th- those and are my even thoughts. beyond that, Scotty, just looking at the major impacts in Baltimore alone of gentrification mm-hmm. and the limited amount of and the intersectionalities of you know um, clean affordable housing. Yeah. You know, so I mean, there's so much. Intersectionality and so many, you know, issues that you know are already here, you know, um, happening in the community. So, you know, I don't foresee that actually. Um, I mean, I don't see that having a good impact um, on 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 the well, community. Well, well, we uh, do as um, revolutionary support, you know, people's struggles globally. So it's, it is not coming from a place of any kind of animosity towards these refugees, right. but also, you know, just looking at the real, you know, looking at it realistically in the, in the conditions on the ground. Is it conducive right. for and, that? I mean, and looking at like what I was saying, like the intersectionality of everything. Right, right. You know, of, you know, uh, alleged, you know, refugees and individuals being, you know, brought here and essentially folks here being, you know, removed and pushed out. 
because that's what's because that's basically you know what's happening and essentially what gentrification is you know it's it's racism and 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 classism you know um pushing people out you know um so you're going to push people out and bring other people in you know and the, and the mayor announced something um you know not too long ago about um wanting to bring you know um 10,000 yeah, into Baltimore mhm I saw that. I saw that. Well, I certainly will uh, keep monitoring that situation. And, and, you know, I'm sure you'll be keeping your eye on it, given the nature of your work. You'll probably get some information that the general public won't. And, and of course, you have um, a, a great uh, perspective because, you know, of your work with people. So I'll probably be calling on you, sis, from time to time to give us a report on some of our other programs. Um Let's jump into this Black Lives Matter Forward blog that was written by political prisoner Jaleel Montekim. Again, you can find his blog at freejaleel.com, freejaleel.com. Just want to thank uh, his support team for helping him to maintain his blog and, and um, you know, post these messages to the uh, general public. So I'm going to just go ahead and, and, and read this. This is not very long. And then, sis, I will go to you for your analysis and any commentary that you have. Um, this is blog number 36, Black Lives Matter Forward. After watching some of the reported discussions between Black Lives Matter activists and Hillary Clinton, I thought there was one thing important that happened. Hillary asking those activists to provide her with an agenda and policy she could support and advocate. When considering the diverse ideological composition of the BLM campaign, it is important to review our history of struggle. For example, the civil rights movement Success was based on the development of a national coalition. The leading spokespersons came from the SCLC. The legal was represented by the NAACP. The youth movement component was SNCC, while CORE and the Urban League primarily assisted in organizing the urban communities and raising funds for the overall movement. Of course, there were other associated groups from churches to labor unions, etc., yet what was the cohesive determinant of the era of struggle was its focus on ending Jim Crow segregation. The success of the civil rights movement was its ability to identify specific racist institutions in practice and forge campaigns challenging them. Beyond marches and protest demonstrations, the movement proposed specific policy changes. The Voter Rights Act, the ending of segregated schools, using the Commerce Act to end segregated travel accommodations, etc., were tactical successes in a broader strategic campaign to end all vestiges of Jim Crow segregation. When Clinton asked BLM activists to provide proposals for policy changes beyond sloganeering and protest demonstrations, the activists did not provide an answer. For me, that was disturbing. As she said, without such, in 10 years, we would be here again making the same arguments. The moral compass in terms of changing hearts in a capitalist social order is to demand institutional changes as the civil rights movement achieved in what I qualify as a bourgeois social democratic movement. In previous blogs, I raised specific goals to be achieved in the evolutionary political development of the BLM. Since the reality is activists are challenging political candidates to raise these concerns unto the national debate, it is incumbent on BLM to forge specific national proposals and policy for these politicians to advocate if they want the support of BLM in particular and the progressive community in general. Hence, I humbly suggest the forming of a national platform and program for BLM to further substantiate the national organizing of a mass and popular movement. Needless to say, it is when the diverse ideological composition of BLM begins to speak in one voice, makes the same demands, and advocates for the implementation of specific policies, will the entire initiative become a formidable movement as occurred during the civil rights movement. While the oppressive, repressive conditions confronting new African people are varied, there are particular concerns we must challenge in a national determination. 
Because of the myriad problems besetting the new African community, it would be prudent to expect BLM to concentrate its political capital on the immediate issues most detrimental to black lives, survival, and prosperity. Therefore, in my opinion, BLM should be making the following demands and structure specific proposals for policy development. One, the immediate end of policing, of police profiling, brutality and murder. Demand the decentralization and demilitarization of police. That police officers must live in the community they are assigned to patrol. Greater diversity in hiring of police officers more representative of the community they patrol. Number two, end the school to prison pipeline. Pipeline. Demand quality education in black brown communities, including ending discriminatory disciplinary practices and criminalizing students. Number three, student debt relief, offering greater numbers of scholarships for college entry programs to poor high school graduate candidates. Four, stop gentrification of black brown communities, provide secure, secured low income housing and stable rent control zones in targeted communities. Number five, immediate end to mass incarceration and end the prison industrial complex. Demand the end to corporate prisons for profit for the implementation of restorative justice and community adjudication programs. Demand the removal of the clause in the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution that permits prison slavery and involuntary servitude. Number six. The development of a national job STEM training program for the poor communities. Demand full employment with a living wage. Number seven, the immediate recognition of the existence of U.S. political prisoners and the immediate, immediate amnesty and release of COINTELPRO victims. Each of these issues should be developed into specific demands and proposals for policy development in a national campaign. These demands must be made part of the BLM campaign challenging political candidates. Furthermore, these demands should be talking points for all progressive groups challenging elected officials across the country toward the building of a mass and popular movement. These demands provide the BLM specific objectives to achieve to broaden full recognition of black people's human rights. Obviously, the demand for the recognition of the existence of U.S. political prisoners serves to raise consciousness on the death and breadth of the overall struggle for civil and human rights. It challenges the U.S. corporate government's brutal repression of militant resistance to racist oppression. I sincerely hope BLM will give serious consideration to what is here proposed. At no time in the future should any candidate on the national election scene think they can instruct BLM activists how they should organize a challenge to the corporate government. Our history is replete with examples of successful campaigns building mass and popular movements. It is time for this generation to bring the heat making it uncomfortable, if not impossible, for the status quo to ignore or negate the suffering of our poor and oppressed peoples. The ultimate task is the building of the socio-economic and political institutions towards a new American revolution to demand equitable distribution of this country's wealth. Remember, we are our own liberators. In fear struggle, Jaleel A. Montekin, um, Attica, August 2015. Um, Sis, we're going to take a short station identification break and then we'll come back and we'll uh, jump on our commentary if need be since we don't have a program tonight coming on after us and we need to go over a bit, then we certainly have the uh, time to do that just in case. All right, people, you are listening to Political Prisoner Radio. We broadcast every Sunday night right here on the Black Talk Radio Network at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Ron Hayes with Hood News, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. So instead of legislation, in my opinion, it takes education. If the white folks are being re-educated uh, so that the racism that they have in their hearts can be eliminated and, they, and our people have to be re-educated uh, so that we will know how to do something for ourselves, for ourselves, instead of waiting for others to do it for us all the time. 
tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to Political Prisoner Radio. You are on with yours truly, Scotty, and my co-host and co-producer, Sister Amijo. The telephone number, if you have any comments or questions, you can give us a call at 641-715-3660. That is 641-715-3660. The participant code is 549-032-POUND. Again, that is 549-032-POUND. For those already dialed in, greetings to you. Anytime you want to comment, hit star six and one, and that will uh, alert me and let me know that you have something to say. Sis, did you have any thoughts on what we heard from uh, from our elder, uh, Jaleel Montekin? Sister Amijo, are you there? You may have muted yourself. Uh, let me see. Hello? Can you yes. hear me? Yes, we hear you now. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, um, Jaleel always has, you know, a very good, you know, analysis um, regarding, um, you know, what's happening directly in the community. Um, you know, also, you know, as well that um, there are other activists and organizers that are stepping up and saying, hey, you know, um, it's not just a matter of being, you know, here in the United States. You know, we have to, you know, look abroad you know, as well and have, you know, international solidarity with, you know, other movements and, you know, other, you know, um, you know, other groups as well as, you know, you know what I'm saying? So I think that like, that's actually like one piece that is missing because it seemed like, you know, majority of what, you know, Jaleel, you know, is talking about is, Hello? It, hello? Yes, yeah, so we got like, you. seems like, you know, majority of what Jaleel was referencing to, you know, is just simply policy. And, you know, we've got to go, you know, beyond the policy. We've got to go beyond, you know, beyond talking. You know, there's so much, you know, organizing and so much work, you know, um, that we need to do. Yes, it is. Just a, a couple of things to some of the things that, that he wrote. Yes, it, it is. He lays out some, some great bullet points, but I do have some disagreements uh, with him in terms of greater diversity in the hiring of police officers. I don't think that just putting more people of color, black people, Hispanic people, or any other kind of uh, uh, non-white people in the community is not going to improve policing because we have because you know the t the term that I coined proxy racism where we got these black cops just following orders man we see these black cops just filing false police reports that's helping to cover up when one of these white cops killed a black person like in the case of Walter Scott all right and, and and then you know the 16 year old who was beat up last week you know by those by those I think it was like eight or nine police officer and there was a black cop right there in the middle of it you know jumping in on the kid you know he didn't come in and say what are y'all doing beating up this little black kid this is excessive force get off of him let me talk to this kid i can empathize with him y'all just back up and let me see what's going on no that ain't what the hell they doing we know that that the prison uh, plantation employs a lot of our people. I just read, I just published a story the other day of a black prison guard who just sat there twiddling his thumbs and drinking coffee while one of the prisoners laying on the floor dying. And okay, so just getting more people of color into these institutions is not going to solve the problem in terms of police hiring. I think that they should undergo racial empathy testing or you we just call it uh, empathy testing to see if these people got racial bias and whatnot if they're i mean because if they i don't care if it's a white supremacist or a self-hating negro the result is going to be the same a dead black person so i just don't think diversity in hiring of police um i think that the police to a large extent need to be abolished we need peace officers. We don't need people policing our communities. We need people in our communities that's going to keep the peace. All right. Um, some of the other things that he mentioned are coming out 
in the Bernie Sanders campaign in terms of the private prison plantations, the prison industrial complex, abolishing uh, private prisons and jails in this country, um, restoring the federal parole system. And from what I understand, Bernie Sanders does have a black woman. I think she's from Baltimore, if I'm not mistaken, who is a supporter of the Black Lives uh, Matter movement. She's a criminal justice advocate advocate and she was hired by his campaign to help them craft policy so in terms of black lives matter putting pressure on these candidates to force them you know they saw some good results there uh, and in terms of hillary clinton hillary clinton can kiss my ass i'm sorry i just had to come out and say it. that woman is a war criminal she's a murderer uh most response more responsible than most people for the zero tolerance in, in high schools and whatnot but she did make a good point if you're gonna step to them then you better step with you know you better have 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 your bullet points down you better have your policy ready if you want me to push this and whatnot. But she, in my opinion, was being largely dismissive of them. She was talking down to them and not to them. I'm so happy that he mentioned the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and, and called for the demand of the removal of that clause that reserves slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for crime. And and so um some of the other things like like and, and again I do not endorse political candidates I, I don't do that but I do tell you what they are pushing all right one of the things that he addresses in here is making college affordable well Bernie Sanders won't has a plan to make um community college tuition fee free so you know those some of those things are being addressed through legislation but we shouldn't be saying okay he introduced this oh that's well and fine there's a lot of work that has to be done to get these policies pushed through. Just get It takes a tremendous effort, number one, just to get a bill introduced. But that's only the beginning of the battle. Then you got to get secure the votes for this bill. So there's a long road ahead of us. And, you know, of course, I, I, I agree with everything that he is saying. Uh, something I have called for Black Lives Matter to do to start recognizing those people who came before you like a Jaleel Montekin who was a political prisoner because he was out there trying to make Black Lives Matter when he was with the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army and so they have to be acknowledged. You have to acknowledge those whose shoulders you are standing on. You have to acknowledge those who have made sacrifices for you. And especially those who are still alive and still being being enslaved on the system for their political activity. Because 20 to 30 years from now, one of those young Black Lives Matter activists, they could be a Jaleel Montekin or they could be, you know, a, a Leonard Peltier or any other number of, of political prisoners that the United States is holding. Since you have any follow-up commentary before uh, you lead us into uh, the statement from uh, Leonard Peltier? Um, no, I mean, it was just a matter of saying that, you know, in fact, that I do think that, um, you know, his his statement, you know, was not, you know, not holistic and... I'm, I'm actually, you know, slightly, you know, disappointed that, you know, he didn't go, you know, further <laughs> in, you know, calling on, you know, formations and, you know, um, you know, liberation and, and, you know, just different, um, you know, more from, from a more militant perspective, you know, mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I mean, that's all that I can really say that, you okay. know, just disappointed with the, 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 limit, the limited perspective on that. All right. Well, certainly we do um, respect his perspective, but I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's always room for debate and dialogue and building. And that's why he's calling for these different people to come together and have dialogue and, and conversation. But, um, yeah, I, I think he should have recommended, like, Jericho movement, you know, Black Lives Matter getting with the Jericho movement or getting with this grassroots organization. We got pop, 
you know, people organized for progress up there in New Jersey, in in New York area. So yeah, that, yeah, you you you're right, you're right. Um, do you do you have uh, the statement from Leonard Peltier up? And could you go into that? If not, I can I can do it. Sure. Um, as you stated, um, hold on. Yeah, I did have it pulled up for a second. I think I, I think I've just lost it. And of course, we have linked to these statements. They are on the web. And uh, you can read them yourselves and also leave a comment, leave some responses if you would like to respond, which I need to write that on his blog so that can uh, what I said so that they can be communicated to him. Uh, I'm speaking of Jaleel Montekin. Do you have it? Yeah, I do. OK. Um, so the statement comes from, um, as you um, had stated in the beginning, um, the International Conference of Consciousness, September 26, 2015. Um, this, um, this is dated September 26, 2015. Today, the International Tribunal of Consciousness is being held in New York, New York. The tribunal was timed to coincide with the first anniversary of the forced disappearance of the 43 students um, in Mexico and this year's opening of the United Nations General Assembly and a concurrent visit by um, Pope Francis. Leonard Peltier is incarcerated at the U.S. Penitentiary in Coleman, Florida, for his 1997 conviction in connection with the shooting with U.S. government forces where two FBI agents and two young uh, American Indians lost their lives. Peltier, who is considered a political prisoner of war by many, released this statement today through the Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. Greetings, my friends and relatives. As I look past my prison cell door, I contemplate the many doors and walls that are between myself and freedom. Despite having been twice recommended for transfer to a minimum security facility since coming to USP Coleman, uh, I am currently warehoused in the maximum security facility in Florida. These maximum security prisons are each surrounded by a high wall. For us inside, there is no horizon. As I think about these physical obstacles to my own freedom, I wonder how many walls are between you and freedom. How many of these walls are invisible, like the imaginary borders created by colonizers, power brokers, and governments that are nothing more than obstacles to the free migration of indigenous people. I'm greatly honored to be an absentee participant in this international tribunal of consciousness. I noticed that the 43 disappeared students from the Rural Teachers College in Guerrero have long since faded from the news cycle. It is imperative that these young people, who are mostly from Mexico's poorest indigenous communities, are never forgotten. Perhaps the students involuntarily serve as a reminder that our collective struggles are far from over. Death squads are still prevalent, and it is always the poor and the most vulnerable people who endure the most suffering and injustice. These death squads are the same around the world, as they all serve the same master greed that spurs humans to torture, terrorize, and kills others, forgetting that we are truly all related. One aspect of, and this is a special quote, one aspect of my case that is not widely known is that in the 1970s, there were the same death squads in the, on the Indian reservations. Corrupt tribunal police were armed and propped up by federal forces. Prior to the firefight on the Pine Ridge Reservation on June 26, 1975, an incident for which I've now served nearly 40 years in prison, some 60 people who were connected with the resurgence of our traditional spiritual practices and renewed struggle for sovereignty were murdered or disappeared. During the preceding five-month period, more incidents of violence were reported on the reservation than in the rest of South Dakota combined. In the subsequent search for my co-defendants and myself, the people of Pine Ridge were terrorized by these paramilitary groups, led primarily by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Innocent people were intimidated, threatened, and brutalized. To date, none of these acts of terrorism have been fully investigated. On behalf of myself and the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee, I wish to thank the organizers of the International Tribunal of Consciousness, the National Lawyers Guild, and our hosts at New York at the NYU University. I encourage all defenders of human rights to continue to work together on our common issues in the struggle for existence. In the spirit of Crazy Horse, 
Zaska Bunner Puppy Year. Anything that stands out to you that you want to comment on or how we can relate that to the struggles uh, that's common among all people? Right. I mean, it just specifically, you know, what Leonard said, you know, these death squads, you know, and how are any of the local police department, you know, in black and brown communities and the indigenous communities across the country, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You know, yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I had that's the that's the first time I've heard of of them referred to in that manner. I call them police terrorists. Of course, you know, from the 60s, we got pigs and whatnot. But uh, death squads, he is exactly accurate in, in that description of what these police departments are doing. They They are they are death squads again, over 800 people have been killed this year by police. Last year, over 1,500. Ain't nobody in a, a, a United States military declared war zone abroad producing these kind of casualties. This is going on right here in the continental USA. All right. And he's right. They are death squads. But the thing that stuck out to me, and I don't know, I, I, it's just a, I'm writing a book about it although very slowly I'm writing this book because I got so much going on. But I often will comment and write posts on Facebook about proxy racism. And that's what stood out to me is that when he said these death squads, he talked about who? The tribal police. The tribal police hired thugs working for the system of racism and white supremacy, taking their orders from the white supremacists, taking their orders from the terrorists, and terrorizing their own people. So, again, this is why there is no uniting with people just simply because they look like you, because you may be worlds apart in your worldview, all right? And they may see nothing wrong. They may be uh, 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 red, white, and blue so-called Americans to their bones. Whereas a person like me, hey, I'm, I was just born here. I'm born here. I'm doing the best I can to survive behind these enemy lines and fight back at the same time. So, you know, that really stood out to me when he talked about the tribal police. And he's not the first time that I've, I've heard, you know, an indigenous person uh, of uh, American Indian um, community talk about the tribal police. You know, carrying out federal laws on tribal land in the drug war and, and things of that nature. So, yeah, he definitely on point with that death squad uh, description. Anything else, sis? Right, exactly. Exactly. Um, Just also, too, like Leonard's, like, continued you know, perspective and uniting, you know, um, you know, all the in, indigenous nations and, you know, issues of, you know, intersectionality and, um, you know, just, just constantly highlighting that and constantly being, you know, um, a freedom fighter, not for just, you know, the specific, you know, community where, you know, he comes from, but having what would be considered, you know, a, a pan pan indigenous perspective mm -hmm. all right so um let me see all right we don't have anyone with any questions or or commentary they want to offer so i guess this we will move on and you alerted me before, right before we came on air tonight about 30 minutes before we came on air about this sick company in um, New York City in Queens New York is where jailhouse coffee is and how they making light of incarceration and, and solitary confinement in its name motto and brands and I'm reading from a petition that was posted by Chad Kutzer uh, in Denver Colorado and they're demanding that jailhouse coffee change their name and I'm looking at some of the packaging and labeling that they're using and you know it is it's making light of the victims of mass incarceration aka 
21st century slavery. You know, it just really speaks to a, a sadistic and very immature mind, in my opinion. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I just think that it's, it's, it goes extremely, you know, it's beyond, um, it's beyond disrespectful. It's, it's, it's inhumane to, um, you know, make light of, you know, what, as, you know, we would describe as 21st century slavery, um, that Wanda would, you know, want to, want to benefit off of, you know, um, people that are suffering under issues of mass incarceration, you know. Um, one of the things that was really brought to my attention about some of the titles of, you know, um, the, the coffees associated to, like, solitary confinement, and, you know, um, and, and, it's, and it's torture, you know. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's disgusting that, the, that, that a company would, would want to, you know, be named after, um, or, or named their products after, um, I mean, it's really stupid. Incarceration. It's sickening. Yeah, it's sickening. It's I mean, it, and then in terms of marketing, in terms of branding, who wants jailhouse coffee? You know what I'm saying? I have been in jail. And the coffee, well, hell, I don't think we even got, yeah, we did get some coffee that last time I was in jail. <laughs> I am not a criminal, y'all. Anyway, <laughs> jail coffee ain't that great. So why would you name your, that's just ignorant. Why would you name your brand jailhouse coffee, jailhouse coffee? You know, that's just stupid. And then, you know, you look at the packaging, they got people in the pinstripe suits and you know little check marks like they're counting off the days and uh let me see uh like you mentioned uh, one brand of the coffee or 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 flavor solitary sumatra organic organic and then big house organic blend i mean these are sick people these are sick chain gang espresso solitary peru these are some sick people um, let me read a little bit from the petition. Again, this was posted by Mr. Kotzer, Kotzer, I think that's how you pronounce Chad's last name. He said, we live in a carceral state that breaks up families, devastates individuals, and reproduces structural inequality and racism. Despite having only 5% of the world's population, the United States has 25% of the world's prison population and systematically uses solitary confinement, which is a form of torture. There can be no justification for profiting from this systemic form of injustice. For more information on the problems of incarceration and solitary confinement, read Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow, Angeles Davis, Are Prisons Obsolete? Ruth Wilson Gilmore, Golden Gulag, Prison Surplus Crisis, and Opposition in Globalizing California, and visit the Prison Policy website, which is prisonpolicy.org. Let Jailhouse Coffee know what you think about them profiting from a product that makes light of this injustice. So, yeah. You've had, um, let me see, 391 people sign this uh, petition. I'll just share some of the reasons that people have been signing it. Uh, uh, Chris out of Davis, California said, making light and profit off incarceration is just offensive. Uh, Crystal out of New York, New York says, I have compassion for the incarcerated and their families. Uh, Harry out of Cambridge, Massachusetts said it's offensive to prisoners. Uh, Kevin out of Albany, I think that's Albany, California. Uh, too many friends living with the permanent damage of prison. Uh, Daniel McGowan, who's a, isn't Daniel a political prisoner or is he out now? Yes, former political prisoner. Former political prisoner, yeah. Uh, Daniel said, I don't think prisoners should be part of your punchline. And so that is um, just some of the reasons that people have signed this petition. We hope that you would take the w less than one minute to just click on the link and sign the petition.
you know, if you don't already have a change.org account, you can sign up using Facebook. It don't take but a few minutes. You say, well, petitions don't change nothing. Well, what is a petition going to do? Well, sometimes they do help put pressure on people. All right. Part of other efforts, not just by themselves, but part of other efforts. Um, and it puts pressure on individuals to do what it is that you want them to do. It also helps educate the public on things that are going on that they otherwise might not know about. So, you know, the least you can do is sign a petition, you know. So anyway, that, that's all I got. Uh, sis, did you have any final statements as we get ready to wrap up? Uh, again, though, do want to acknowledge the birthdays of political prisoners, Joshua Stafford and uh, Justin Sol Solodons. I think that's how Solans. I'm not sure, but you know, uh, we wish you were not, you know, having a birthday on the prison plantation. We wish that you were surrounded by friends and family, but we do want to acknowledge um, your birthday. Sis, did you have any final comments for our listeners as we get ready to wrap it up? Um, I just wanted, you know, for those people that are listening to the show to, um, you know, keep their eyes on, um, you know, Baltimore and, you know, other places around the country um, are, you know, cases that are coming up in the court system and, you know, to just encourage people to to build and um, to, to train, um, you know, whether it is, you know, as legal observers, as, as street medics and, you know, not just necessarily just be you know, a, a body or, or a specific individual that, that shows up to, you know, a protest. Yeah, I mean, it's important to show up, but if you learn just basic first aid skills and, and things of that nature and other, you know, um, um, jobs that are needed to support all the masses that participate in, in a program, I mean, excuse me, in a protest or a demonstration, then, you know, you would just make yourself that much valuable, more valuable to the movement. Everyone has value, but, you know, people with certain skills and whatnot, you know, they bring a lot to the table. And so if you want to get more involved, those are some of the things that you can do, um, as Sister Mijo suggested. Uh, the only thing that I want to leave you with is you need to keep in the forefront of your mind that when you hear about demonstrations and you see people protesting on TV and whatnot, when you hear about people being murdered by uh, the death squads, the pig police, that, you know, these things are just a continuation of a centuries long oppression of non-white and poor people, non-white and poor people, black people primarily, and uh, also indigenous folks. Um, keep that in your mind. You ain't up against nothing new. And like, I'm going to quote Neely Fuller since I quoted him on Facebook earlier today, right? Is You know, I do study history. It's one of my favorite subjects. But one of the things when I study history, I'm looking to see what our forefathers did our you know elders our mothers and fathers and those who dared to struggle and dared to win before us what worked for them and what did not work for them because like Neely Fuller said the point of studying history isn't to look back and see how great you were as a people key word is were not as how great you were but how did you end up in this current predicament that you find yourself in, you know, under the boot of oppression? So what do we do? What do we do to get ourselves in this? And um, what do we do to get ourselves out of it? All right. So that is one of the reasons why I study history. And I take that suggestion uh, from Neely Fuller Jr. to heart. You know, yes. We need to instill pride in our children and know that we just weren't a bunch of enslaved Africans or just a bunch of, you know, murdered Indians and things of that. Yes, we, we built great cultures. We built nations. We built this nation. All right. Okay. It's important to know that. But 
at the same time, it is important to know the mistakes that our people made so that we don't continue to repeat those mistakes. And that's all I want to say. Uh, please keep our political prisoners and prisoners of war in your hearts and minds. If you can write them a letter, write them a letter. If you can send them some money to put on their commissary, do that. If you can lend a hand at a protest or a demonstration to raise awareness about them, then please do that. Do whatever is in your power to do. All right. We all got different talents. We all have different resources. So just do whatever you can to uh, uh, lend a hand to freeing our political prisoners and prisoners of war. Peace and blessings until next week. This is Political Prisoner Radio signing off.